Well, as you know, we're in Ephesians. And I want you guys to know that I'm actually kind of happy. There's, we've had some visitors lately, but I, I'm actually kind of happy today that they're not here. That might sound strange. But um, I've specifically been praying this week that God would have here who He wants to have here. And, and we say that a lot, but God is... I, I'm just going to be really honest with you. This last week I felt, uh, in studying what Ephesians says, I felt very distressed over what it says and where we're at, okay? And so I've been kind of hoping uh, as the, the, the week progressed about who was going to be here today that God would bring exactly the people that need to hear and, and need to be a part of this here today. Thank you. Okay? And so I'm going to pray and to get us started, and then we're going to jump into this. Uh, let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, God, for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for the book of Ephesians. And I pray that today, Lord, that you would fill this room with your spirit and with your power. God, I pray that you would fill me with your power and with your spirit, God, that I might preach your word accurately and clearly. God, I pray that you'd be with those in this room that may have hard hearts or stubborn hearts. God, I pray that you would break those things down. Lord, if there's things within us that might fight against what you have, God, I pray that you would break that down and so that your truth and your word might prevail today. In all of this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we've been in Ephesians. I'm going to review real quick. And so since most of you have been here, I don't need to take a long time to review, so I'm going to try to go through the review quick. But the reason why I review is because this book maybe even more than other books that we've looked at, it's very important to understand what's going on and what Paul is saying, right? It's very important to keep in mind the context. And so we started off, chapter 1, as you remember, was two basically two big sentences. You've probably heard me say that a hundred times now, right? But it's, it's important to keep that in mind. The first sentence, we kind of broke that up. It was uh, verses 1, uh, or I'm sorry, verses 3 to, to verse 14 was one big long sentence. And so when Paul wrote that, it was just one big idea. And, and I really felt like the, kind of the theme of that was how big is your view of God, right? And so I, I kind of threw that together. And, I, and, and that's kind of the, where uh, Paul was focused, what he was talking about. Well, the second part of it I've titled, How Big Is Your View of God's Church? And I know I need to lighten that slide up a little bit, but uh, uh, that's, that's what that says. How big is your view of God's church? Um, that, that's an old building that's in the, actually in the city of Ephesus that's in the background there. But uh, that's really what Paul's talking about. And if you read verses uh, uh, 15 to 23, you see that Paul builds up. He's talking about, I'm praying for you. He's talking about these, these people that he's writing to, the church, right? And he's talking about them, and he builds up, and he's talking about Christ. And then he kind of brings it all to a head right at the very end. Verse 22 and 23 says, He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here he he talks about, as we go through this, just this amazing, powerful Christ. And then he ends with talking about, that's in the church. And I just, when I first was studying this, I thought, man, that just... Most people don't think that way about the church. They don't think church and think powerful Christ. They don't think church. And in fact, a lot of people will think about Jesus and say, I love Jesus, but 
church? I don't know. In fact, there's a lot of people that think that they're spiritual people. They would think, you know, I'm saved or born again or uh, going to heaven. And there's studies that back this up, that there's a lot of people that would say those types of words that have nothing to do with church. And they don't want anything to do with church. And so there's something off, right? Something off. And so we're taking a look at this to see why would Paul say that. Uh, So last week we talked about um, this prayer from Paul. He'd already established that they were faithful and loving church. And he says, you're faithful, you're loving. I've heard about it where he's at. He's heard about this. And yet he prays for them. He prays for a divine intervention. He prays for a wisdom and revelation by the Spirit and that they would have the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then he prays that they would know three things. Right? Remember those three things we talked about last week? The first one he prays for is that they would have the hope that they would know. And all three of these things are, are things that he wants them to know. first one is that they would know the hope right, to which they've been called to. That didn't mean there was a new sense of hope that they would have, but it actually means I want you to know there's a different thing that you're supposed to hope in. Right? There's a different kind of hope, what you're supposed to be hoping for. Okay? The second thing was the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And we talked about that because that, that kind of was spun a little bit different than what we our first impression may have been. Oh, inheritance, we hear inheritance, we start thinking about heaven and things like that. But yet Paul's not talking about that at all. He says, I want you to know his inheritance, God's inheritance, right? That's in the saints. In other words, he's talking about his people. And Paul said, I want you to know the glorious inheritance that are or are in his people, right? And so these are, these are two things. It's a different kind of hope. It's, it's a different kind of the fact that you are a possession of God. And then the third thing, though, was his power. And so I ended last week talking about this final point. That, and I think it needs a little bit further development. And that's where we're going to go today is talking about God's power. And so I'd like to read through 15 to 23 again so we get the whole sentence and we understand what he's talking about. And uh, we'll, we'll get to where we're at. So verses 15 to 23 of Ephesians chapter 1 says this. For this reason... This is Paul writing, right? Second sentence here. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, right, you faithful, loving people, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here we have to really expand on this because Paul just, he hits this idea of praying for 
power. And then he just kind of goes, goes crazy with adjectives and descriptive words. I mean, just did you hear all those words at the end of that? His power and dominion and glory and honor and might and strength. I mean, there's all these words at the end. And so we're going to take a minute today to really pick that apart, more than a minute, to really pick that apart and look at what was Paul talking about. Why did he do this? And so we're going to do a little bit at a time here. Let's start off with that first little phrase in verse 19. Right? The third thing he wanted to know is this. It says, what is the immeasurable greatness? Pause for a second. Immeasurable means, some versions say surpassable. It literally means immeasurable, that you can't measure it, right? The, it means farther than the farthest thing that you could throw. I mean, beyond anything. Paul says, I, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness, and the, great, the word greatness is megathos, mega, right? I mean, just, just what it sounds like. I mean, Paul's using some big words here, isn't he? Imme- I want you to know the immeasurable greatness right, of his power, this word power, now I did a little digging, now last week I mentioned what the Greek word was, and I said it was dynamis, like dynamite, and, and I did a little bit more digging on this word, and it's dynamis or dunamis, depending on how you want to pronounce that, it comes from a verb that means I am able, right, and it means literally the ability to accomplish things. Now think about that before we go any further. We're talking about God's unmeasurable. You can't calculate how great is His ability to get things done. That's what it's talking about. Paul says, I want you to know God's immeasurable, surpassing greatness of the kind of power that gets things done. We're not talking about just bubbling up kind of power like a battery has power in it. But this is power that accomplishes things. God can get things done. There's nothing that, that comes up against God and God goes, I've, I've exhausted all of my ability and I can't get it to happen. I've done everything I could and it just can't happen. No. Everything that God wants to accomplish, He accomplishes. And Paul says, I want you to know God's immeasurably great ability to get things done. Now, are you ready for the next word? Toward. Or some versions, it's, it's toward us. Some versions say to us word. We don't really talk like that anymore, right? But it's, it's toward us. So, now think about this. Immeasurably great power toward us. Right? I love that. I love that word. Do you like the word toward right now? It measures the great power toward us. To us word. It's right here. It's in us. It's to us. It's for us. And frankly, we need it, don't we? Do you want that kind of power? The power that gets things done? I mean, frankly, we are all in this room. We are a bunch of messed up sinners. And man, we need that kind of power. And here's what's scary. There's some of us in here that we don't even realize how, me- how much of a messed up sinner we are. And so we're the, we're the worst kind of messed up sinners because we don't realize that we're messed up sinners. And so we need it even more. And you may not even realize how much you need this kind of power. But we need this kind of power. And yet Paul says, I want you to know this immeasurably great power toward us. Right? Toward us. But not all of us. Not everybody. 
Who's the us that he's talking about? Us who believe. Right? Us who believe. To those who have said, the thing that I believe in is Jesus. That's the thing. I'm, I'm relying on Jesus. Everybody has a belief system. Everybody has what they believe. This is how I believe. This is how I run my life. This is the thing that I cling to in my life. And Paul says, do those people have said, the thing that I cling to is Jesus. I believe. I'm a believer. God says, hey, you people that are in this category, that you believe in Jesus, there's immeasurably great power toward you. That's exciting, isn't it? That's exciting. Those whose belief system is Jesus are the recipients, or maybe you might call it the conduits, and understand that word is we're the conduits of that kind of power. Now, if those adjectives and those descriptive words weren't enough, Paul doesn't stop. He keeps going. It gets better. Listen to this next part. He says this, According to the working of his great might. I mean, this is getting bigger, right? According to means down from or throughout, right? So it's kind of following this, this idea of it's toward us, but now Paul's going to say, I, I gotta, you got to understand the, the real magnitude of this power. This power is according to, it's, it's like or it's according to, it's coming down from or through this other kind of power. I'm going to show you this kind of power so you get a better idea of the kind of power that's towards you. You ready for it? He says, according to or down from, it's the same kind of power uh, of the working, right? Now, this is the word I mentioned last week. The working is the word energia, and it means the power to work, the power, not, and it's not just potential power, it's active power. That's why it says working, right? It's according to the, the ongoing working of his great might. Now, great might, some versions say the strength of his might. This is saying this. It's two words, kratos and uh, ixus, and it means this. Uh, kratos means power that rules or has dominion, right? So it's working power, power that rules, power that has dominion, and it also means inherent strength and ability. I mean, he just is using different words to just add degrees of greatness to this power, right? God is really powerful, he's saying. He's, he, he does things. He gets things done. And it's according to the working of His great might. Now, when I start thinking about the working of His great might, I start thinking about some things that God is doing. For example, let's think big for a second. Stars. Right? Do you remember that video we watched a while ago? Stars. They're huge. You go out at night. Can you count them? Millions. Millions of them. Innumerable, innumerable number of stars. You know what God did? He spoke them into existence. That is powerful. You think in a different direction. Somehow DNA that God designed is able to manufacture new cells, make proteins, and you can go from one cell to a whole human being. Scientists, no matter how much they study DNA, they're still going. It's, it's amazing. But the power behind it that spoke that into existence, breathed into humans the breath of life. Stars, galaxies, planets, humans, 
the multitude of the animal kingdom. It's all amazing. Can you think of any other amazing stuff when I start talking about amazing stuff like that? You ever seen something you just marvel at the, the, the creativeness of God and His ability and His power and His might? I mean, the biggest one for me is always the stars. You just go at night and just the vast magnitude of the gigantic nighttime sky just humbles me. God spoke it into existence. Right? But that is not what Paul thinks of when he's talking about this power. The greatest demonstration of God's power that Paul goes to, this power that is according to the working of His great might, His great strength, this universe-designing power, this universe-creating power, and this universe-upholding power, what's the thing that Paul talks about that is the demonstration of that kind of power? What is it? What's the demonstration of God's power? Two things, Paul says. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And number two, the ascension of Jesus Christ. Do you see that in Ephesians right there? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. I want you to think about that for a second. When Christ was raised from the dead, we're talking about a beaten, mutilated body that had been torn apart. Right? Maybe even beginning to decompose. We know now from death that things that they didn't even know in those days that after you die, very quickly, cells start to break down on a microscopic level, right? Things start to fall apart. I mean, it just is impossible to, to reanimate after a certain point. And so, in, in Christ coming back from the dead, defeating death, we're talking about arteries and veins being restored, cells being reconstituted, muscles brought back into functioning order, a heart beginning to beat, lungs beginning to inhale, right? Breath, life, rising up. And that's not even to mention what was also going on. Because it's not just some scientific miracle that happened. Jesus defeated death. He defeated death. Death and sin were reigning and ruling and Christ took the sin of the whole world, was crucified, bore the wrath of God, and then he rose up again. That's amazing. That's miraculous. That's a greater miracle. This defeat of death is a greater miracle than the universe being upheld. Sin has been slain. This, this path has been blazed for all of us to follow. And it doesn't stop there either. Because then there's this ascension of Christ where, where Christ, who was the servant of all by taking on Himself the sin of the whole world, every sin committed, poured onto Him, the servant of all, will now stand as Lord of all. 
right? The servant of all, Lord of all. It, everything worked out. I mean, this was the plan from the very beginning, and God accomplished it. I mean, we're talking about the ability to get things done. We're talking about the whole scope of human history. God's redemptive plan for all of mankind, from Adam to the very last person that's ever going to be born, God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. God planned it, and then He did it. I mean, we don't marvel at that enough. I mean, we get excited when we have a little plan come together. This is a all-history-encompassing plan for all of humanity for all of time. God had it planned before time, and He did it. He accomplished it. We are talking about amazing power. And God says this, or Paul says this in Ephesians, he says, we're doing this, I want to tell you the kind of power, I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of the power of God and His might that's, that's towards you, that is according to the working that God did in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the seating of Christ at the right hand of God. That power in you. Right? That kind of power in you. I feel so inadequate to be able to really describe this to its fullest potential. The amazing power of God. You could tell, I, I, I wonder if, if Paul, as he was writing this, was, I need more words. I need more words in here to describe how great this power is. I don't want this church to miss it. I don't want them to miss how great God's power is and that it's, it's toward them. It's for them. I think we need this sort of power. Every day on the, the way home when I ride the bus, I'm with my uh, several other teachers now. I've got a couple more I've recruited, right? And so we all ride the bus back. And, and there's a lot of interesting conversation. And, and a lot of our conversation turns to our culture in our society, I mean, let's be honest for a moment. We live in a world that is just messed up. Don't we? I mean, we live in a society that is messed up. I mean, and you, if you really want, and sometimes we can be very sheltered from it, but, you know, being a teacher has, has opened my eyes sometimes. There's so many kids that that, oh, they're struggling with their homework and things like this, and I, I'm trying to get them to get things done. And, and then one day you, you get a chance to talk to them, and they're talking about nobody's there in the morning for them. They, they have to get themselves off to school, and they're there during the day. And these young kids, nobody's there afterwards. There's some kids that they stay at school just because they don't have a place to go. And that's not even the worst of the stories we could find. Just in Danville. I mean, we live in a world a society and a culture that is just messed up. We desperately need this kind of power. Our world needs this amazing power of God to save. I mean, what's the answer to, to these things? I mean, am I alone in thinking this? Are you guys, do you feel that way do you, when you think about society and culture? Now, some of us, we don't think that way. We see society and culture and just makes us angry, but we have to take a step back and realize in compassion that what is needed is the power of God in people's lives. Real power. The same kind of power. 
I want this power for myself as well. I recognize so often my own inability to really bring about real change. I mean, I, I mean, I, so many times, this is, why, this is why New Year's resolutions don't work very well. Right? We set up, oh, I'm going to do this. Man, the, our greatest efforts sometimes, and most of the time, flop. We need the kind of God that can, that can reanimate a dead body to reanimate me. We need this power. But I don't want you to lose sight of something here. Do you remember the context that we're in? This is Paul. He's praying that these people will know this power that's toward us. In other words, we have this power, but Paul is praising that, praying that we will know this power. Why? I think there's a couple of reasons here. The first reason is kind of on the positive side of this. And I'm going to turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Uh, Paul actually talks about this in a lot of different places, but this is one of, I know many of you, this is one of your favorites. Romans 8, 9 through 11. Paul is speaking here, and he's talking about the same kind of topic. Now listen for it, okay? Romans 8, 9 through 11. He's talking to people who are in the Spirit of God. And he says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So you have two ways to live. According to the flesh, body, physical, according to the Spirit of God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit... Now, here it is. This is where it gets exciting. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Put simply enough, That power that Paul's talking about, just the same thing we're talking about in Ephesians, that power, the same Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead, dwells in you. I mean, this is energizing when you think about this. This is very energizing when you think about this. Right? There's a similar idea between these two passages. If it can give life, the Spirit can give life on the level of raising Christ from the dead. If that's the kind of power that we're talking about, then it can give life or new life to you. I I have to say that this particular idea has been one of the, if I might call it, one of the impactful realizations in my own life. So often I would struggle with this sin or that sin in my life. And when I finally dawned on me, right? Like Paul, praying for this Ephesian church, I want you to know this. When I knew, wait a minute, the power of Christ dwells in me. So when temptation would come, it doesn't matter what it is, I can always choose to do the right thing. Always. Always. There's, there's nothing. Suddenly, then the other places where Paul talks about there's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful with every temptation to offer a way of escape. That you may be able to bear up under it. 
There's nothing. And I finally realized there's nothing that could happen. It's going to be too much. I used to think about that. I won't be able to handle this or I won't be able to handle that. That would be too much. I won't be able to handle that. It's too much. It's not true. It's a lie. There's nothing that is too great for this kind of power. And it dwells in us. And you know, and the Bible is full of similar ideas over and over again. Paul talks about the power of Christ and he connects it to things like overcoming suffering or enduring persecution. Then you hear people that were once quiet, they begin contending for the gospel, effectively advancing the kingdom of God. People are radically changed in the Bible. Quiet people are now talkative and loud and and spreading the gospel. People who are closed up realize these other things. People who could care less about the world suddenly are full of compassion for the world. Amazing heart changes are happening. Do people go from, from being immoral people to moral people? Absolutely. You see the power of God who's mighty to save people. But... Frankly, I don't even see that as the biggest change. You see even crazier things happening. You see people going from moral people that are self-righteous to becoming humble, extraordinary Christians. See, we marvel at this change. Immoral, living a sinful life and God saves them and begins making them into moral people and they're growing and changing but the greatest changes of all are those people who are actually really good people but are destined for hell because they are self-righteous. Are they moral? Yes. But they're full of pride. God saves them too. God saves them too. And eventually you see these people all throughout the New Testament. You read the book of Acts and you see these people suddenly becoming devoted disciples and followers of Jesus Christ doing extraordinary things, dedicated to the cause of the gospel, all out, sold out, on fire, hot for God, right? They're on fire for God. They're burning up to share the gospel and spread the gospel. God is mighty to save. The power of God is always working until eventually we stand before Him and we're genuinely like Jesus Christ. And it doesn't stop until we get there. The truth is, power can't be stopped. God is mighty to save. You know, we need to preach this way. I'm hoping that right now I'm preaching this way. God is mighty to save. Paul's getting ready to tell us in this next chapter, chapter 2, that the salvation that he's preaching is the same thing as going from dead in sin to alive in Christ. I've got to be honest with you. The gospel isn't preached that way very often anymore. The gospel that is preached anymore isn't, isn't a gospel that God is mighty to save people. I mean, frankly, it's gotten so watered down that when we even say the word saved, it doesn't mean the same thing anymore. If you read the Bible and you look for the word saved, you know what it's talking about? Saved from sin. 
saved from the power of sin and put into a new power. There's something radically different about people. And the Bible is not ashamed about confronting people who do not live radically changed. The question immediately comes up in the Bible when they're not radically changed and growing for God and and characterized by the power of God. The Bible writers have no problem saying, there's something wrong here because I know God. God is mighty. He's powerful. He can't be stopped. We have things like saved and born again. There's been studies by, for example, the Barna Group. They've done studies where they, they talk about people who are born again because and half of America claims that. The problem is that term doesn't mean what it used to mean. Born again is talking about radically changed. Frankly, to deny the power of God, right? Think about what that looks like. To to, to actually let out of our mouths talk about people. uh, Is he saved? Yeah. And he's totally still trapped in sin. Think about what you're saying when you say that. You're saying God can't, He can save their soul and get them to heaven, but He can't change this guy's life. And we preach a Christ who is weak and incapable of changing people at the very core of who they are. The Bible, though, preaches a very different message. It preaches a message of a Christ who's powerful to save. And He's mighty to save. And He saves people. And He saves sinners. To deny this power in reality is to belittle Jesus. And if I'm to be honest with you, in my distress, I mentioned earlier, I just studied and I felt distressed. I'm distressed within myself how often I've gone down that path myself and talked about a salvation that's weak as I get into God's Word, it sickens me when I hear people talk about God's salvation in such a pitiful way. Something needs to change. To make it a little bit more clear, when you talk about being saved and you refer to a person who isn't going or they're not growing and they're still trapped in their sin, you make Christ look pitiful. This brings me to the flip side of this because on the positive side we can clearly see just knowing this power can encourage us and empower us when we recognize this. And this is why Paul prays, I want you to know this power. But the flip side of this can be found in 2 Timothy. I want to turn to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three. Starting at verse one. Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says this to this young pastor. But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. It's gonna be difficult times. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, 
They'll be proud, arrogant, they'll be abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless or unloving, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance or the form of godliness, but denying its power. Now there's something quite amazing about this list. He doesn't say, in last days, there's going to be murderers and adulterers and thieves. No. In fact, it never dawned on me exactly how seemingly not so bad this list is, given one at a time. Now, together it sounds bad, doesn't it? Let's think about some of these things again. Difficult times in the last days. Oh, you ready for here? This, this horrendous list of things. They'll love themselves. They'll love love money. I don't love money, but are you sure you don't love money? Proud. Arrogant, abusive, even if not physically, maybe verbally, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, or just unloving. Drive down the road, see somebody homeless, and you're not moved. See some teenager down the down the road, wrapped up in sin, not moved. I'm, you know, un- unappeasable. Just can't make you happy. Slanderous. Talking about other people. Oh, that person there. Slanderous. Slander means to. It, it comes from the same word that blasphemous comes from. It means to, to smack with your words. Usually we talk about it behind their backs. To, to say words literally that tear somebody's character down. Like the president. Without self control. Oh man, I struggle so much with self control. Brutal. I like some of us like to be brutal. Truth hurts. We'll say it. I know that's brutal, but I, somebody's got to say it. Not loving good. Not loving good. Yeah, I love good. Uh, I like good. 
not loving good, treacherous, reckless. How'd that make it on the list? Reckless. Swollen with conceit. Loves pleasure rather than loves God. Love going on vacations. I love vacationing. I love taking time off. I love relaxing in front of the TV. I love love pleasure. I just love enjoyable things. Rather than love God. Love God. Every chance I get. This list doesn't seem very extreme. Paul's using a literary technique where he will go through and list a bunch of things, but then one thing, usually the last thing in the list, he'll expand on it. And that's a way for him to say, this is the focus of the list. I want to draw your attention to this. What's the very last thing he says? They have a form or appearance of godliness. Right? But what are they denying? It's power. It's power. Do you realize, and as he goes on from there, he talks about these are the kind of people that destroy churches. Do you realize what Paul is saying? Churches are destroyed by good, godly appearing people that simply deny the power of God. Churches are destroyed, Paul says, by good moral people. That's what this means. Having a form of godliness means pretty godly people. They look, they, they got, a, they got a form of that. They appear that way. For the most part, they look pretty good. Notice the list of sins are are mostly things that are not actions but attitudes. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. That's what destroys a church. I'm distressed by this because I would say if I was going to be totally honest with you and I think that if you're honest as well you cannot say that Edgewood Baptist Church I mean we can talk about the churches in America that's easy to do isn't it? Let's talk about Edgewood for a second. You can't say that Edgewood Baptist Church is characterized by the power of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the thing that we're known for. You see why I'm distressed? This is the last days we're in. The churches that are destroyed churches are the churches that are full, full of good moral people. But they just don't live in the power of God. That's the missing ingredient. Our churches are full of it. If, if we're honest with ourselves, our church, we've got a lot of good moral people. But are we living in the power of God? Ask it of yourself. You know... What's even more challenging on top of that is I can't say, I can't go to the, my application and say, okay, the application is we need to live in the power of God. How do you do that? How do you do that? I can't, I can't manufacture that. 
I can't fix that. I can't do anything about it. I can't say, okay, now I'm going to live in the power of God. Right? No. Do you see why Paul is praying for this? If Edgewood fails miserably, it'll be for this reason that Paul talks about in Timothy. We are full of people who are godly people, have a form of it, but are we living in the power? And the only good response we can have at this point, I mean, this should be an eye-opening moment. It was for me this week. As I was studying this, I, yesterday I was just distressed again and again. And I said, God, we're, I can't, even if I ignore everybody else, I can't look at myself and say, I'm characterized by the power of God. Our only hope at this point is to to get on our knees and say, God, we're in a desperate situation. We match not the good, full of power kind of churches, but we match that Laodicean church that's lukewarm. We don't match the church that's on fire for God. We match the churches that are, that are not living in the power. And clearly, that's how churches are destroyed or people like that. In fact, Paul goes on. In Timothy, he says this. He says, have the appearance of godliness or the form of godliness, but denying its power. What does he say next in the very same sentence, verse 5? He says, avoid such people. How can you avoid such people when you are the people? How can you avoid such people if you're the, you're the people? Our only hope is to get on our knees and say, God, we, we desperately cry out to you that you would save us from this lukewarm state. My hope, and I hope that your hope, is that Edgewood Baptist Church will be known as a church that is full of the power of God, a God that is mighty to save, that radically changes people, not just taking them from immoral to moral, but the, the, the greater thing that when God takes the, the moral people and makes them devoted disciples of Jesus Christ, that's the God that we serve that can make people like Jesus and transform them into His image on this earth. I, I am in desperate need myself of this, this kind of power. I, I can go through my week so easily and, and have little exchanges and feel like I've done something because I've, I've talked about Jesus a little bit here, a little bit there. We're in the last days. We need, we need bigger. We need more power for that. We need the kind of power that Paul's talking about. When I hear immeasurable, great. I think, where's that? I want to see that. You know, one of the first steps is to start right there, isn't it? Who would say right now? You don't have to raise your hand. I just want you to think it in your head first. Just, just ask yourself the question. Not what's the right answer. Don't just give me the answer that you know you're supposed to give. But ask yourself the hard question right now. 
do you want? Because it's not going to paint out very pretty for us sometimes. Do you want the power of God? Don't raise your hand. Just think about it. Ask yourself that question. I mean, if you look at the lives of the, the people who followed God in the Bible, it led to death, it led to trial, it led to tribulation, being filled with God's power. God takes you in places that lead to hard times. So you got to know, do you want it? Ask yourself, do you want that kind of power? Are you desperate for it? I mean, when you think about the things that you want in life, I mean, sometimes I think about, oh, Oh, man, I wish I had. I mean, I have literally thought to myself, in my head, thought, Oh, man, I wish I just had 500 more dollars. I just wish, oh, man, I, uh, and I've thought about it for a day, <laughs> straight. Oh, man, I just I had just this much. We need desperately the power of God. Let me ask you this question this way. Do you know anybody in your life right now that you say, I want so much the power of God for them? I want them ex- to experience this amazing power of God. Does anybody have now? I'm going to let you raise your hand here. Does anybody say, I know somebody right now, I say, I want them to experience the amazing power of God. I know somebody that's... I want them to get saved. I want them to know what that's about. I regardless of what they've ever said, they've made a profession or not, forget all that. I just want them to recognize that God is powerful to save. If I say, I know somebody right now, I just, I want for them to know the power of God. I do. I want them to know that power. Listen, it's going to start with you praying that God will help you to know that power. You know, we wonder sometimes, not to drag this out, but I've got to say this one last thing. We wonder sometimes when we have visitors come and they're able to walk out and it seems, man. We wonder about that. Here's the answer. They walked in, they didn't experience God's power in a mighty, changing God power, immeasurably great, raising Jesus from the dead kind of power. That kind of power, right? God has got the kind of power that accomplishes things. Remember? We want them to experience that kind of power. Now I'm going to come down here and I want to take a minute. We're going to close in prayer. But I'm going to take just a, about two minutes. Just silent prayer. If you want to, get on your knees if you can. Get on your knees and pray, God, we need this kind of power. I'm not talking about an emotional God is, oh man, he's, maybe you're having a little bit of that. But I'm not talking about that because, you know what? God's power brings that about. This is a simple saying. I see that kind of power talked about in the Bible. I'm not seeing it here. God, please give it to us. I'm seeing it in the Bible. You read about it. You read about those men and women. They were just regular people like us. But God's power was on them and in them and it radically changed them. That's what we want. If you want it. Maybe you don't. And honestly, if you're sitting here, I mean, this is dangerous to say in a small church, but if you're sitting here and you're saying to yourself, I don't want it. Well, Paul told Timothy to avoid those kind of people. I hope that if you do not want the mighty power of God at this church, 
I hope that God will, will take you out of this church. Because that's the kind of person that can destroy a church flat out. Is good moral people that don't desire desperately the power of God. I would rather have this church full of a bunch of murderers and adulterers and thieves that just say, we just want the power of God. Desperately. I want those kind of people to come into this building and say, we just want the power of God. I want the prodigal sons that have gone out and they've experienced it and they say, there's nothing out there like what I could get with my God. And they come back and we just want the power of God. That's what we want. And we want those kind of people here. And if you don't, if you don't want that, I pray for your soul. That is not the heart of a Christian person. That doesn't desperately say, we just want God. I'm going to take two minutes. And then I'm going to close this in prayer. I encourage you, if you can, get on your knees and pray for it. Ask God for it. If you can't get down on your knees physically... Close your eyes and say, God, please pour on us your power. Do something this week different. I'm going to have Ashley play if just about a minute. Go ahead and close your eyes if you would. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to pray and close us in prayer today. God, I pray that you would be with us as a, as a group, as a people. Lord, I desperately want... Lord, I don't want to die before I've seen your great and mighty power. Lord, I don't want to, I don't want to get through my life and not have seen that. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your power on this church. Father, I pray that you would let us see that immeasurably great power that raised Christ from the dead at work in our hearts, in us. 
Lord, I believe that you still are mighty to save. I believe that you still are working that great power. Lord, I don't want to miss it. Lord, I pray that if there are those in this room that are obstinate to your power, God, I pray one of two things. Lord, my hope is that you would save them. Lord, if there's someone in this room that is obstinate, they, they just hear all this talk about praying for God's power, and they, Lord, I pray that you would save them because they need to be saved. Lord, I pray, though, if they do not get saved, Lord, I pray that you would protect your church, Edgewood. Lord, I pray that you would protect us from people that would destroy this church by their self-righteousness and their pride. God, I pray that you'd protect us and your hand of protection in a powerful way would be on this church. God, I pray that you'll bring into these seats sinners that desperately want to see you. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. And we pray that you will do whatever it takes to bring this about. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before I let you go, I want to ask you and encourage you to band together with me in this. That you this week would pray for God's mighty power to be on us. I want to see it. I want to see it desperately. I, I hear about that. I hear about that kind of power. Have you ever heard the stories of of great saving power, people radically change. Don't you want to see that? I encourage you to pray for that this week. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to get to the end of my life and not have seen that. And I really want to see it here. I want to see it at work at Edgewood. And I want to see Edgewood become a church that is characterized by the mighty power of God.